Well, I got to confess, I am surprised to be in California right now. Um, when I said yes to this, of course, of course by November we'll be all done, right? Um, I've stopped guessing at when we're going to be all done. And this week, as Clay said, uh, my daughter uh, came down with COVID, um, came home and quarantined in our basement. And in Minnesota, basements are like houses, to give you some scope on the size. So she's living down there, isolated from us. It's a weird thing to have your daughter come home from college and not hug her, not go within six feet of her, not go within 12 feet of her, just drop food at the top of the stairs like a restaurant, right? <laughs> but we did it. I got two COVID tests. They both turned out negative, and I got on a plane. I'm glad to be here. I want to spend a little time just introducing myself. I, I always feel like I like to know who's talking to me. Um, as Clay mentioned, my name's Brian Farone. I serve as district superintendent for EFCA's North Central District, which is about 160 congregations in Minnesota. Um, you can see the little picture of Minnesota with all the dots. That's our family picture, where all our churches are scattered across the state of Minnesota. Prior to that, I was a pastor at Grace Bible Church in Arroyo Grande, California. Um, in fact, I was Adam's college pastor once upon a time in the Wayback Machine. Um, and then when I was in my, uh, my late 30s, I took a weird turn. I was on that track. I was going to be a lead pastor somewhere, somewhere, I thought, maybe, and God was kind of figuring that out. And a group of leaders came to me and said, hey, what if you jumped into regional leadership in our denomination, helping us on the one hand guard doctrine? That was a main part of what I did. On the other hand, helping churches find pastors. That's kind of how I'm connected here. I was part of your church as they looked and found Rick to be your pastor here. And on the other hand, doing mostly what I do, which is being a pastor to pastor and church pastors and church leaders. That's pretty much all I do. I was gratified to discover when I started doing this that it's just like being a pastor to ordinary people, which is what I knew how to do. Um, with the exception that the congregation that I shepherd is scattered all over the place, and they can be a confident and unruly bunch sometimes. Um, I've learned to kind of spoonful of sugar does something sometimes, occasionally. Um, I love caring for church leaders. I love that I get to be here tonight. Um, you know, when, I, when Rick said, hey, do you want to come? On the one hand, this topic resonated with me. I'd probably, I think I just canceled one of my big dream plans for this year, a heartbreak cancel. Um, we were going to start a foundation that was going to provide financial resources for churches to revitalize and to multiply. We've been driving toward that goal, and it just got wiped away. Wrong year for the foundation. And, uh, and Rick, I remember sitting in a parking lot in Minnesota and having this conversation with Rick. Um, since my congregation is scattered all around, I do a lot of parking lot conversations. And I was talking to him, and it just resonated with my heart. The other reason I'm glad I am here is I want to grow in Christ. I want to grow. And things like this, I hope you came with a sense that God might do something in your life. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. A couple other pictures up there. You see my family, uh, my son Samuel, my daughter Grace, my wife Terry. They're scattered all over the place right now. Samuel's up in Arroyo Grande right now. Grace is uh, back in Minneapolis getting ready to head back to Chicago. My wife, Lord willing, is going to get on a plane tomorrow and join me here. We'll see. Um, I can't tell you how much I've talked to Delta in the last uh, two weeks, they like know me by name at Delta, it feels like. Um, I'm, as I, as uh, Clay said, I'm part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, our denominational leadership, the denominational family that your church is a part of, your sister congregations, the churches that love you, that are on gospel mission next to you. Um, one of the things I love about the work that I get to do is, is I believe with my whole heart in the local church, it is God's plan A to get the gospel to people. Um, but you know what's cool? Your church is not alone. It has sister churches everywhere. And they're doing the same thing you are doing. 
uh, reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, shepherding the found so that they can grow in Christ, equipping men like you for ministry so that they can serve, whether it's Monday to Saturday where you're working, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's both. Um, I'm also been hugely impacted by Young Life. Anybody else here connected to Young Life at all? I was a Young Life kid. I never heard the gospel until Young Life brought it to me. I come from a radically non-Christian home. If my parents knew how to pray, and if they would pray against something, this is what they would have prayed against. Um, my, dad said, my dad is still baffled how this happened to his son. Um, but in God's providence, the gospel broke into my family through Young Life. Um, I um, uh, was educated at Trinity, our seminary, and now get to serve in a, a role there. Um, and I love the local church, so I put the logo of my local church on there, Rock Point Church. Um, in Lake Elmo, Minnesota, a church that's changing my life, making a difference in my life. So that's a little bit about who I am. Just wanted to show that to you. Um, but now really what I want to do is take a moment, and, uh, and we're going to pivot. We're going to turn the corner. As Clay mentioned, we're talking about being surrounded tonight, and you are, and we are. And before we dive into God's Word, we're going to look deep and hard tonight at God's Word. I want to invite you to stand with me to pray um, that God would... Uh, God would do something in you, if you're able, stand and pray with me. And the Bible says we're supposed to raise up holy hands in prayer. Um, sometimes when I worship, I raise my hand because the Bible says I should do it. That's the whole reason I do it. But I want if you're, if you're bold enough, raise your hand in prayer with me that God would do something in your heart these days. Father, we pray. We pray that your word would pierce us. We ask, God, that you would lift us up, that you would enliven us. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, do what you do, that your spirit would come and work, that the truths we see tonight would change us, they would shape us. We pray, God, that it would go from our ears to our heart to our hands, that we would live these things out, that we would believe by doing, Lord, we pray. And God, I pray that you would give us ears that can hear. I pray, God, that you would guard my words, that you would guard our ears, and that all the stuff we do tonight, that we do tomorrow, that we do the next days, that we do in response, uh, would be from you and for you. It would be to you, God, we pray. We pray these things because Jesus Christ lived and died and lived. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm going to, I want to begin... Uh, tonight by telling you two, about two plans in my life that, that just fell apart. And I'll be honest, I looked for some tidy, safe, easy ones. Um, these aren't them. In, in fact, to be perfectly candid, I'd rather not be sharing these stories. I'd kind of, in, in one sense, I'd sworn off telling this story in sermons. I'm tired of telling it. But I'm going to tell it one more night because we're here to grow, and this is worth hearing. Uh, two, two plans, dearly loved deeply held plans that fell apart in my life four years ago. The first one is this. My, t my wife, Terry, and I, we had our kids young by modern standards. Now that we didn't have them young by, like, historical standards. We had them even a little old by historical standards. But by modern standards, we had our kids young. We had both our kids by 25. And we were looking at being young, empty nesters, right? Um, we were looking at, at our mid-40s. We were going to have kind of a life 2.0. What would it be like when we don't have to worry about feeding and clothing and, and taking food to the top? Oh, wait, I'm still doing that, right? It's not working. We had this dream that we were going to be young, empty nesters. Um, and we were excited about it. 
We're excited about it. It's not, it's not that we didn't want to see our kids, just not as much and not right in our house and not on our dime, right? That was, that was kind of our dream. Um, I'll never forget, I was here, I was in Dana Point. You know, as I mentioned, I, I don't, didn't tell it, I'll probably tell my Minnesota. I live in Minnesota now, that's where I do my thing. But in 2016, I was in Dana Point, right at this time, during the election. And I was part of a regional leadership team. We served pastors and church leaders all over the Southwest. And we'd meet in Dana Point at the Marina Inn, if you know that place. It was kind of our historic place to meet. And I was in a team meeting, and my wife and I have a code. Maybe you guys have a code like this. She can call once, and if I'm in a meeting, I can ignore it. That's in bounds. Two calls, I leave whatever meeting I'm in, and I answer that phone, no matter what. Well, she called twice. So I go out, and I get the phone. I remember coming back into my meeting, and my boss, a man named Steve Heifold, made it cracked a joke. She said, he said, what, is Terry pregnant? And I said, yes. Right? It's uh, shut the room down, right? I won that round. <laughs> right? And uh, it, was, it was the day Donald Trump got elected. First time. Strange day, right? Stranger for me. Stranger for me. I was at Gelson's in Dana Point, kind of overlooks the ocean there, talking to Terry about how our life was going to change forever. That young empty nester plan, that was off the table. Off the table. My regional leadership life, we thought it was off the table too. And we were imagining, at this point, my kids were 15 and 16. And we were imagining a life um, where we had sort of, we're going to have another set of kids, right? And uh, all of a sudden, instead of being young empty nesters, I was going to be 60 with high school kids. That was the new plan. And I remember saying to Terry, we kind of agreed together. We're like, this plan, this plan's done. This plan is over. Um, I can't be in Arizona when the first steps happen. I can't be in New Mexico preaching at a church when the first words come out, right? I'm going to have to, I, and I, we'd kind of plan to return to the local church. That was our plan. Well, in God's providence, there's exactly one district in the free church that I could have led and still be home by supper time. And that's Minnesota. For some strange reason, it's, it's historic. Our, dist, our, our denomination's headquartered in Minnesota, and there are free churches everywhere in Minnesota. Um, and there, you know, there's 60 in the urban center in the metro of uh, the Twin Cities within, you know, about an hour of my front door, I can drive by 60 free churches. When I drive into a town in Minnesota, um, more often than not, it's one of our churches. That, that little old church is one of our churches. That happens to me all the time. And in God's providence, I, my name was kind of pushed into a search to be the superintendent in the one place I could still do the regional leadership thing. And we thought that our old dearly loved plan that was dying, um, but hey, look what God's providing. And we were starting to turn. Let me tell you about the, uh, the other dearly loved but shortly held plan. It was heartbreaking. Because um, you guys saw my family picture, right? Right? It didn't work out that way. It was, um, this is why I'm so sick of this story. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about what happened in December. But it happened. In December, I put my resume in. I was part of this search. We were kind of gearing up. My kids were, I was learning how to say I'm sorry in Minnesotan because we were about to move there and I was going to have to do that, right? Moving my kids from Pismo to Minnesota. It wasn't their dream in life, right? It's turned out good, but it wasn't their dream in life. Although I will say the housing market, it's a wonder. It's a wonder. Mansions are available for free in Minnesota. <laughs> we bought one. Um, we found out early in December that we'd had a miscarriage, our second one in four years. And, uh, and I, to be honest, I, I didn't want to even stay in the search, but I just kind of stayed in. I, was a t I don't know how I survived, so that was a terrible interview in December, right? But we kept on going, we kept on making it. 
And long story short, I ended up getting called there to serve these churches. But I will tell you, the first plan, the, the early empty nesters, I didn't, I didn't cry a tear over that one. But the second plan that got all screwed up, where we lost this child, that we, we'd, we'd, we'd gone, we were all in on it. We had turned our life toward it. We were going to go for it. And then it disappeared. And then it disappeared. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where you got these plans? You got these plans. Now maybe it's the coronavirus, but honestly, let's be honest, most of us have, have uh, harder stories than these last six months. Don't we? And so tonight we're going to talk about what happens. Tonight we're going to talk about what happens when your plans fall apart. When you feel like, at this time in my life, I felt like a ping pong ball getting hit back and forth between these two paddles of plan A that went away, plan B that went away, and me not wanting to go back to plan A, not wanting anything to do with plan A anymore. Have you ever had a moment like that when you found yourself in a similar situation in the midst of an uncertain future, not knowing what was going to happen? We're going to talk about that tonight. In fact, we're going to look at my favorite chapter in the Bible on this question. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews has been my friend during the coronavirus, especially Hebrews 11 and 12. Especially Hebrews 11 and 12. And tonight, we're going to look through Hebrews 11 and 12 to get perspective on what happens when plans like ours fall apart. That's what we're going to do. Looking at Hebrews 12, or Hebrews 11, I'm sorry. 12 will be tomorrow. Hebrews 11, from first perspective, when plans fall apart. We're going to walk through this chapter. It's a longer chapter. We're going to see these stories, and then we're going to ask the question, so what? So what? What does it say to us? And this passage starts um, with three people, and we're just going to look at these lives. I'm going to read them for you. Now, normally, I would have you stand, but I don't want you to be popcorn tonight, up and down, up and down, up and down, we're going to, and we're going to go through five different sections. But the reason I would ask you to stand, and I want to say this, um, you remembered this, right? These words, they're not like other words. And this book, it's not like another book. And so as we read, I want to encourage you to remember in reverence that we're hearing God's very words for us, giving us a snapshot of all these people who've gone before us that we can relate to divinely, with authority. God's very word. And it starts like this. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1. In my Bible, it's given the heading, by faith. It says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark 
for the saving of his household. By this, he, com- he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. All right, these first three. These first three people that set an example for us. Think about Abel. Look down at your Bibles. Try to, try to imagine what it would have been like to be these people. Abel, you remember the story, Genesis 4. Abel does, a, does an offering. His brother Cain does an offering. For reasons that I don't think are fully clear even in the passage, God accepts Abel's offering and he rejects Cain's offering. And Cain, what does he do? You remember the story. He kills his brother. And the passage there says that even though he died, he still speaks. His life is still a message today. Imagine, imagine what it would be like in those early days as the world is falling apart to have this happen, brother and brother. Imagine what it would be like that your family's epitaph in the Bible was a death that speaks about this broken world. Or imagine Enoch. We read right over it. There's not a lot of detail here. Enoch, who was, the Bible says, lived a righteous life in the middle of a, of a spiraling world, a world that's falling down. And then God takes him up. He doesn't die, right? And that sounds like a tidy story. Has it been your experience that when you live a righteous life in, in the middle of a messy world that it's easy or fun? Hasn't, hasn't been my experience. Can you imagine being so distinctive in your world that God commends you for your faith, raises you up without you dying, and yet what do you think that day in and day out life was like? Right? Super fun to be a Christian right now? Super easy? Are you cruising? I don't think so. Or then think about Noah. Imagine Noah's story. He lived in an age that was so wicked that God looked at this world. Sometimes we'll think, oh, how how much more evil could our culture get? A lot more. A lot more. Noah lived in a day that was so wicked, God looked at the world and said, he's wiping it off. Starting fresh. He says to Noah, build an ark. Get the animals. Get some people in there. We're going. Imagine what it would be like to do that. Imagine that, imagine that your life means condemnation. That's, that's what Hebrews describes it as. That it's this, tw- he's commended for his righteousness and he condemns the world by his actions. There's no picnics there. No picnics there. Moving forward. Abel, Enoch, Noah. Hebrews says we're supposed to think about them. We're supposed to consider them. But there are more people. Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Look down at your Bibles. Listen to God's word. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had not been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of his sons, Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Think about these people. Think about these people. I moved from Pismo Beach to Minnesota, and people thought I was doing some crazy, crazy thing. Minnesotans were so offended by it. They were, they were much more offended than Californians by the whole thing. Why would you? Well, imagine you're Abraham, and you get told to pack it up and get moving, to go to this land of promise that's far away. And you know what? No moving company. Right? They were hoofing it. They were walking, Right? Abraham does that. He goes out by faith. By faith, he does that. He leaves his homeland. He endured, we're told, a terrible, difficult journey if you read about it. Imagine this. They're told they're going to have children. Imagine if the Bible makes a point to call you too old, almost dead. Right? I love verse 12. He was, he was barely yet alive, and he had these kids. Or imagine you're Sarah. My wife, Terry, and I had to endure the shock of a pregnancy at 40. Small potatoes. Small potatoes compared to what they're going through. Or think about the kids. Imagine trying to navigate your father-son relationship after that moment where you build an altar, you put your son on it, and you say, son, we can trust God. Think about it, right? We read it on the page like it's no big deal. Right? I mean, my daughter and I are working at getting along because I'm not cooking as well as I should be. Not here. Not here. Or imagine Isaac, who had these two kids. Remember, they duel for, for his blessing, right? What do you think that family picnic was like? How do you think that scarred these men? Or think about Jacob and, and his son Joseph and the brothers sell him into slavery. They sell them into slavery, they send them off to Egypt, and it turns out the Egypt story is their rescue story. But we know, if you've read the book of Genesis, you know full well that's a hard pill to swallow. Right? Right? These people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they went through some things. They had a hard, hard road, but that's not, the, it doesn't end there. There are more. Think about Moses. Man, Moses, think about this. Here are these words. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God 
and to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Think about Moses' story. Think about it. He's born under an edict that that children like him were going to die, so they hide him. And then somehow he finds his way to be in in Pharaoh's house as a son, an adopted son. And he has to decide. Imagine you had to decide between all the riches of this world and faithfulness to Jesus. Guess what? We kind of do, but not like Moses. Not like Moses. And Moses picks a right. And then, have you read Exodus recently? Have you? Real plagues. Real ones. Over and over and over. The passage reminds us that Moses kept the Passover, and we think, oh, interesting Jewish festival. No. Imagine a scenario where you had to put blood on the doorpost of your door so your eldest lived. Anybody love their eldest son? Tenaciously. My door would be covered in blood. Right? It's not just a tidy meal. Not just a tidy meal. Imagine then you have to take a nation on a long, long walk. And imagine you're walking toward a big, big sea. And God parts it. And you think deliverance. But then the people who are chasing you are destroyed. A little guilt. Right? Right? Those hard words in the Bible are written through tears. You know that, right? Right? Look at what Moses went through. And then the passage goes on. It's trying to make a point, right? It's driving to a point. People over Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and then, then there's Jericho and Rahab. Hear these words, God's word for us. Hear them. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had also given a freely uh, given a friendly welcome to the spies. These ones quickly, if you think about their story. You know, these people that wandered in the wilderness, that made it to the other side of the ocean, and wandering and wandering and wandering, they get to Jericho and it's going to be a big fight. And they go walking around and walking around and walking around. You remember the story? The armies march around, the walls fall down. And you think about Rahab's story. Can you imagine being a woman in this situation? Imagine it. She's already pretty vulnerable. And then she has to cover for these spies. You know, I've felt, I've felt pretty vulnerable in the last six months. Small potatoes. Easy by comparison. And then the passage goes on just to finish it out and just throws a slew of names at us. A slew of names. Here are these things. Try to put yourself in their place. Try to hear these words, not as, as easy words to skim past on a page. Try to hear them as real situations. 
things people really went through, things people really felt. To the end of the passage, it says this, And what more shall I say? And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and the dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Just, just to look at the others briefly. So many others. Think about their names. You know these names. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Hardest chapter in the Bible for me to this day, Jephthah. Jephthah's story. Look it up. Heartbreaking. David, Samuel, the prophets. Hear their list of troubles. Let me just say them for you again. Conquered kingdoms. That's not a picnic. That's, a, that's difficulty. That's something they had to do by faith. Enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead, and then tortured, suffered, mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. That's who you're looking at. That's who you're surrounded by. It is fitting. It's fitting that these are called people of whom the world is just not worthy. Hard, hard times. Difficult, difficult experiences. And then Hebrews 12.1, let me just read it. Because it's where the title of our sermon comes from today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... That's how Hebrews 12.1 looks at these people. Thinks about their experience. With the time I have remaining, I want to ask, I think, a pretty simple question. What can Hebrews 11 teach us about faithful living in the days ahead? What can it teach us? What can these people and their story and their sufferings and their difficulties and their overcoming teach us about faithful living in the days ahead? And there are three things I want to focus on. Three things. First is this, Hebrews 11 reminds us, you and me, that we are not the first to face difficulty, discouragement, or disruption, even though it sometimes feels that way. Hear this, Hebrews 11 shows us in vivid detail that we are not, we're not the first. Isn't it tempting to think that we're the first who've ever gone through tough times? I, I think that by default every time I face a hard time. That just kind of rises up in my soul. I'm the first 
No one's ever gone through something like this. Or I, or I shake my fist at the heaven. Why me, God? Why? Or to utter words like unprecedented. Anybody said that? Maybe. Unfair. Unbearable. Let me ask you this. Have you ever got caught complaining to someone who has it much, much worse than you? Right? Anybody ever have that, ever have that experience? Picture a man complaining about a few aches and pains who, to a person who has terminal cancer. Anybody ever do that? And then you find out? Or this, imagine a businessman who's grumbling to his receptionist right now about his tough financial times. Boy, he's, he's forgotten how the money works, hasn't he? Right? Or anybody ever had this happen? This happens with my son. This is autobiographical. My son says, I'm just so busy, Dad. He's 20, full-time student, part-time job. Doesn't sound particularly busy to me, right? But someday, someday he'll get it, right? Or to put a fine point on it, to put a really fine point on it, imagine we could plop Moses down right in the middle of this room. Imagine, someday we're going to have that conversation, right? Imagine we pop Moses down right in the middle of this room and we try to explain to him how hard this year has been for us. And we say, Moses, it's been so hard. We had to stay home more than we wanted to. Right? Try saying that to a man who went on a walk like he went. Moses, it's been so hard. The restaurants are all closed. Right? Right? Moses, we have to wear masks. It's driving me crazy. Right? Imagine we had to do that. Say that, something like that to a guy who's described this way. One of my favorite, most, most mystery verses in Hebrews 11 is this. It, Moses is described as a person who considered the reproach of Christ. Reproach of Christ. Thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth. Nonetheless, Moses re- considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And yet we miss our restaurants. And we're sick and tired of being at home. And we want things to get back to normal. And we hate masks. We hate them. Right? Little perspective, brothers. Just a little perspective. You and I, we are not the first. We are not the first. This is not the worst pandemic the earth has ever seen. Not even close. Right? This is not the first time our society has faced political instability. Right? Nixon Library is right up the street. Memory serves, right? That's still true about California. Right? This is not the first time, and hear this, it's not the first time Christians like us have had to reckon with racial injustice. Can I just say, part of my coronavirus story, um, I care deeply about the issues that people of color are facing right now. I was in Montgomery, Alabama the week before this happened. Uh, each year, we're, we've begun a tradition in the, with the family of churches that I serve and lead. We go down to Montgomery, Alabama to learn some truth and wrestle with it. Because I believe there's never been a better time for people who believe the Bible is absolutely true. We have got to lean toward issues of race and ethnicity with the gospel of Jesus Christ. These issues are on fire in our culture, are they not? And don't we know the answer? Right? right? For people who believe they've been rescued by the cross, there is one answer. 
And we, we have got to lean into it. We've got to lean into it. That was just a little aside. It's a little aside. We are not the first. We are not the first. Second thing I want to say. Not only are we not the first, we are not alone. We are not alone. Likewise, when things fall apart, we must remember we're not alone. Rather, we're surrounded, past and present, by people who put their hope in God. By people who put their hope in God. Look with me. Look back down at your Bibles at Hebrews 11. Look at the names. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, on and on and on. Think about the people you know in this church that surround you, that make it so you're not alone. One of the great realities of the Christian life, when I became a Christian, I was convinced that Jesus died for my sins and rose again and that my brokenness and distance between God could be healed through the cross. What I didn't know is I was getting a family. All those places in the Bible where it says brothers, that's not a throwaway word. That's not a throwaway word. In a room like this, if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, you're my brother. You're my brother. We are family. Not alone, utterly durable, absolutely undestroyable relationships. And don't we try? My goodness, I have a job because churches try to tear, tear themselves apart, you know? Like one of the things I tell myself when I'm going into church conflict is I say, well, job security, you know? Gets me through, right? But, but can I just tell you that we are so utterly not alone? Let me tell you a story to help you see this truth. I live in the Twin Cities. My office is downtown, right across from the Viking Stadium. We have churches all in that area. I have staff members who live right down where George Floyd was killed. For a couple days, it was utterly unsafe to go into Minneapolis. Utterly unsafe. But a few days later, a few days later, I got in my car, and I was going to drive in, drive into the office, make sure it was okay. We're at an old historic free church right in downtown. Um, and uh, I was driving, and I was going to take the freeway because it's tidy, right? No pain on the freeway. And I thought, no, I need to get off the freeway and drive the real, real streets. There's a road in Minneapolis called University. Um, beautiful place with all kinds of wonderful places to eat, people to connect with. And as I drove down University, it was just torn to shreds. Torn to shreds. You know, when I moved to Minnesota, uh, I made a promise to God that I would move my heart there. It's the only way it works, right? Your heart's got to be in your place. So my heart, I, I, I went all in heart on Minnesota. So I'm driving down this road, seeing places I've been with people, not too distant from places where my friends shop and live and walk, and it is torn to shreds. Boards everywhere, all kinds of hate on the, on the walls, right? That was not a pleasant experience. I, I turned left and decided I was going to drive down 30 down 35th, or down Chicago, which is toward where George Floyd was killed. I just wanted to see it. And I'm driving down, and it was just one heartbreak after another. There's a beautiful place called the Midtown Global Market downtown. It's in the old Sears Roebuck building. Um, the first Amazon, it was called Sears. Um, and uh, now there's a wonderful place to eat in the downtown, down there. Outside, the buildings were all burned to, burned to the ground. All the buildings out around were burned to the ground. 
wasn't the most horrible thing I saw that day. To be honest, the thing that broke my heart, uh, there's a children's hospital about five blocks north of that, uh, Minnesota Children's. And uh, it was functioning. There were boards on Minnesota Children's about 20 feet up, boarded up with kids inside, sick kids, sick kids. The city that I've come to serve, uh, that God has told me I must love, was just tearing itself apart in heartbreak, just in heartbreak. I can't remember the last time I felt so lonely. I really can't. Um, I, foolishly, I drove that alone. I don't know why, right? Uh, it was a lonely, empty time. But you know what's, you know what's amazing? Is I was driving down not just, not just to see it, but I was going to a meeting with the team that I serve on, and we were going to talk about it. And you guys remember this was late May, early June. Most teams like the one I was leading hadn't been together in person, right? It was the first time we got together in person was about three or four days after that happened. And uh, let me tell you something. Through tears, we processed what had happened to our place and people we loved and issues we care about and yet solutions that we were so concerned about because they weren't gospel solutions. As we process that together, can I just tell you, I've never felt more surrounded in my whole life. I've never felt less alone than when I wept with other brothers and sisters in Christ who, like me, have devoted themselves to serving church leaders and churches. And we were together in this place, and it was the utter antithesis of what I had experienced. The absolute opposite of what I experienced on that long and painful drive through our city that's still hurting, that is still struggling that still needs Jesus Christ, needs gospel churches by the hundred, right? That's what we're about. I just want to remind you here, you're not the first, but you know what? You're not alone. You're the exact opposite of alone. You are utterly, totally, absolutely surrounded. You're surrounded. You know, sometimes we'll think about this passage and we'll think it's like a stadium, people cheering us on. That's not what it's about. It's not a stadium of people cheering us on. It's a stadium of people pleading with you to live by faith, telling you that you can get through, telling you that you're not alone. They're witnessing to you. That's what witnesses do. They tell you the truth. And that's what these people who are surrounded in the past, together with God's people at all times and all places, and in the present here right now, you're in a room with 100 brothers. Only crazy people right now want to be alone if they know Jesus Christ. The Christian life, I hear this, one of my favorite authors, a man named Paul Tripp, uh, wrote a book called Dangerous Calling. I love this book. It's a book uh, for church leaders mostly, but it's, it's, it's got a lot of there. And one of the things Paul, Paul Tripp says in this book, if memory serves, he says, you're the most important person in your life, which is kind of a funny statement to say to a person. He says this because nobody talks to you more than you. Boy, that resonates with me. I have a nonstop conversation going on with myself, right? And can I tell you, sometimes I just flat out lie to myself. I forget to tell myself the truth. Other times, I tell myself the truth. Can I just plead with you guys? Tell yourself the Christian truth about your current situation. And your current situation is you're not alone. A scattering of people surround you, right? You're not the first. Um, you are in a family. You're in a family. 
all those who name the Lord Jesus Christ. You are part of that family. And then a final thing I want to I point out. I would be doing violence to the passages if I didn't point this out. Uh, more than anything else, living by faith is essential. Essential at times like this. If you were listening at all, you heard the phrase by faith over and over and over and over again, right? The thing that connects all these people who went through difficult times as they put their, it was living by faith. Living by faith. Let me just walk you back through the passage and say a couple things about what this passage says. This means, among other things, if you look at verse one, it means trusting God when we can't see the outcome. We can't see the outcome. I personally have stopped predicting when things will go back to normal, right? And I've started to make peace with phrases like new normal, right? Which did not taste good in my mouth six months ago and now sound very good indeed, right? Because maybe we'll get there someday to some new normal, right? Here's the reality. Does anybody think they know when this is going to tidy up? I, I feel clueless. But that's okay because living by faith means we trust God when we can't see the outcome. It also means we draw near to God during adversity, disappointment, and difficulty. Look at verse 6 for that. A few other things quickly. It includes things like Noah's reverence in verse 7. Abraham's obedience in verse 8. Sarah's trust in verse 11. And Moses' understanding of true riches. True riches. Jesus is a whole lot more wealth than any of the stuff we have around here. Any of it. Faith also looks forward, we're told in this passage, in hope to things not seen. It looks forward to a future reward. Here are these. These are some of the best words in this passage. A future reward. In verse 10, a city built by God. Don't you long for that? In verse 14, a homeland. That's what got Abraham moving. In verse 16, a better country that is a heavenly one. And then verse 40, verse 40. Remember all these people, they were looking forward to something better in Jesus Christ. Something better in Christ. And then if we remember 12.1, living by faith includes a firm focus on Jesus Fixing our eyes on him. We're going to talk about that a bunch tomorrow. And a clear call to not grow weary. A clear call to not grow weary. So to sum us up. At times like this, this passage reminds us we are not the first. Believe it. Tell yourself the truth. It reminds us we are not alone. We are not alone. This evening is just a a little bit of evidence for that. But our family relationship as people who believe in Jesus Christ goes much, much, extraordinarily much deeper. We are not alone and we have to move forward. If you want to move forward, there's only one way to do it. And it's by faith. It's living by faith. Now throughout the rest of this conference, I expect God will sharpen our focus Teach us each what he wants us to hear and help us to know what we should believe and do in the days ahead. And uh, since I believe God answers prayer, I want to invite you to pray with me at the conclusion of our time in the word 
to that end. That these would be pivotal days, turning points in our hearts, times of genuine Christian growth, and we would learn to trust him afresh and more and higher and deeper. So bow your heads with me, men, and let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we want to walk with you. And we need your help. Father, we want to believe true things about our current situation. We need you to teach our hearts. Lord, help us to believe that we are not the first. Help us to remember that we are not alone. Help us, Father, I pray, to live by faith in the days ahead. Lord, would you... In the days ahead, when we start to believe the lie, would you remind us, God, that we're surrounded? Help us to believe that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, past and present, who put their hope in you. And help us, Lord, to be part of that, to do likewise, to walk by faith, to live in hope, to await your return, to be, help us, God, to be Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts as we do that, and chasten us, God, we pray, as we do anything else. We pray these things to your glory, for our good, because the scriptures say so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.